RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, Duffified Live Day. I don't know why I always sing that, but it just kind of seems like a fun little intro. You know, it's just a like, let's just lighten it up. Let's get everybody excited right off the bat. I am unbelievably excited this week for many reasons. One, because I've been home for the last couple of weeks, with the exception of a quick run down to Uncle Buzzy's down there in North Carolina, where I got to go down and play with the boys and girls in the kitchen, uh, which I highly suggest you guys go and just check it out. Even if you just go on Instagram and follow Uncle Buzzy's, it's literally ready for this at Uncle Buzzy's. Go and check out some of the really fun food that we do there. Super great handcrafted roast beef sandwiches that we slow cook every single day. Everything's made from scratch in-house, including our little funnel cakes and all that that we make. We just do super fun, really simple food because I got tired of the pretentious bullshit all the time that happens in restaurants with places. I didn't want it. I wanted to play. I wanted to put a really great burger together and not have to worry about, uh, you know, servers and everything else. So it's just a cool little to-go spot down there. And after all of the years that I've been in the industry, uh, and, and even with my consulting business, even with the new projects that I have going on, like the fine dining upper echelon things are co- they're few and far between anymore. They're kind of taking a back seat because the places that are out there are out there right now. You're not at this point going to create, recreate the culinary wheel, not going to recreate the hospitality wheel. There's just a great opportunity for everybody now, not just people with a fuck ton of money to start putting properties together. And now I can walk around the corner to a little place called Tired Hands Cafe where I can go in and have an unbelievable bologna and cheese uh, panini you know, that's off the hook. At the same time, I can, I'm sorry, fried bologna and cheese sandwich panini that they build together with some really cool sides. Like the opportunities are limitless for what it is that we're going to do. And one of the things that I wanted to do this week was I wanted to talk to somebody who's seen it all, who's been in a corporate world, been in the private sector, been in uh, consulting situations, also is in the full-blown bartending mixology realm where, uh, you know, the average idea of a bartender is somebody who slings a beer. A mixologist is somebody who crafts a cocktail. So I wanted to talk to somebody who has both of those kind of accolades, um, you know, under their belt. So for the last bunch of years, I've been working with a guy named Dylan Holcomb. And Dylan uh, came to, to be my friend through my buddy Dave Elger, who runs and owns Hot Mixology. So Dylan is a Denver uh, dude. He lives out there now. Just, you know, he's from Pennsylvania, you know, born the son of a butcher. Like this guy has been involved in the hospitality industry least watched portions of it happen through his entire life. So I wanted to talk to him because I wanted to kind of find out one about his past, what he did, where he came from, what led him to be in the position that he is now, as well as I really wanted to ask that kind of question, not even that kind of question, but to ask that question direct and to the point, what is the difference between a bartender and a mixologist. So I want you guys all to do me a favor. I want you to step back. I want you to sit down for a couple of minutes because we're about to have a great conversation with my buddy, my friend, who also happens to be a wonderful bartender and not an asshole mixologist. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mr. Dylan Holcomb. What's up, Dylan? Hey, what's up, Duffy? How are you doing? Another day in paradise. In, well, <laughs> Philadelphia. They're ripping my streets apart, so I, I I don't know what the hell is going on around here. So, but you're you're East Coast right now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm actually in New York, and they're currently ripping the streets out in front of the uh, B and B I'm staying in. They're ripping out the gas lines. I had no hot water this morning. It's awful. Oh, there you go. Well, that's always nice. I've had that. Ha- I've had that happen in hotels before, dude. Oh wow! Like where they forget to tell you. I was in Kansas City. <laughs> 
and I stayed at this awesome, like historic property. And I woke up one morning, I went to get, like, I went to the gym, the whole nine yards, went to hop in the shower. There's no hot water. And I go downstairs. They're like, oh, well, yeah, we forgot to let you guys know. It was pretty, pretty impressive. So they finally took care of me. It was nice. So, hey, Dylan, why don't you do me a favor, brother? Why don't you tell me who you are, what you do, and how we can get in contact with you? Yeah, so uh, my name is uh, Dylan Holcomb. I am the uh, bar manager for Pony Up in uh, Denver, Colorado, located on 18th and Blake Street. I run their beverage program, and uh, we're starting to expand here pretty rapidly. So I'm going to be doing some consulting there with this company as well. And to get a hold of me, uh, you can definitely find me on Facebook with Dylan Holcomb. Uh, Instagram is uh, at C Dylan Holcomb. And same thing with Twitter, C Dylan Holcomb. Very nice. Are you a tw- Which one is your favorite, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter? Uh, Facebook's the one I tend to use the most. Instagram and Twitter will feel almost like a chore. So Really? <laughs> Facebook to me is like a whole bunch of old ladies just fucking bitching and complaining. Maybe it's like my inner soul is an old lady. I, Are you? Yeah, yeah. I like the Golden Girls, right? <laughs> That's true. And weren't they? Aren't they bringing something back with that? Aren't they doing like a Broadway play or something? I think Blanche is coming back. I oh, don't. really? I had no idea. Wait, isn't she dead? Is Blanche dead? I thought they were all dead. I didn't think any of them were still alive, but I could be wrong on that. Well, I think the oldest. Well, the, I th- the the oldest lady on the show was apparently the youngest one. Oh, wow. Golden girls, Golden Girls. I do this all the time, Dylan, just so you know. Oh, you're Googling this. Girls one. cast. Okay. So let's see. Who are we talking about? Betty White, dead. Yeah, I think she was dead. That was a sad, sad day for our country. She was a national treasure. I, but she's dead, right? Didn't she die? Yeah, yeah, she is dead. Okay, so she's dead. B. Arthur died. Whoa. 2009. Rue McClanahan, 2010. Estelle Getty, she's still alive? No, she died 2008. Oh, we've lost every single one of them then. And then Betty White. Betty White just, Betty White's still alive, dude. <laughs> I mean, at least that's what's, that is what Wikipedia is telling us. So we still have Betty White. She's a national treasure. She is, dude. She's still alive. How funny is that? Think about that. Like, she was born in 1922. Think wow. about changes that have happened in almost 100 years. Well, like the first 10 years of her life was prohibition. So that was still occurring. Yeah, seriously. I, I mean, <laughs> she was 10, so she probably didn't get as it was. Probably didn't lose out on anything, but. Right. <laughs> right. But her parents probably did raising kids. <laughs> what do you think if you were, if you were like, what would your concept be? In 1922. Uh, Alaskan fur trader. Definitely a fur trader concept. That was really popular back then. What? <laughs> fur trading concepts, yeah. Fur trading was a big... Are you fucking with me? Because, you know, I believe people, Dylan. Serious. I've outed you so, as an expert. Do you know Trader Vic? You ever heard of the, the restaurant chain uh, Trader Vic's? You know what I'm yes. talking about? Yeah, of his, course. His, his first bar was called Hinky Dinks. And that was an Alaskan fur trader concept. Really? <laughs> yeah. It didn't take off, apparently. I don't know if there's that many of them left anymore. There's a cool little spot on the, uh, in, uh, as you come out of like the northern part of Idaho into Montana, there's this old logging highway that you go along. And if you take a turn, there's a little tiny bar. It's called, I think, Jack's. And as you go down this long, like, dirt road that's about probably uh, three quarters of a mile, if not a mile long, and it's like a long dirt road. And you pull up, and it's a logging bar. <laughs> Did they have axe throwing in the back or anything like that? No, like, no, uh, no, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't make it out back. I spent <laughs> like an hour and a half inside the bar itself, dude. And I'll send you pictures of it. I got to find the name of it. The bar itself is made of one long redwood tree. Oh, wow. They actually cut out portions of it to fit like sinks refrigeration. Oh, wow. So they just had one giant tree and they, they actually conformed it to the bar itself. That's pretty they incredible. Turned, they turned the whole thing into one long bar and then they did like a, like probably a three inch piece of redwood that runs the whole length of the bar and then they have, uh, there's a swing in the bar made out of redwood and then there's just like all really cool old boots and, and like chainsaws in the fucking walls. Like it was, and we were the only two people in there. 
I used to I used to work in a restaurant where we had uh, chainsaws as part of the decor. They're actually chainsaws were put into the wall, and they were holding up the back bar shelves. Really? Yeah, and they were antique chainsaws too, like from like nineteen fifty, I think, because the first like motorized chainsaw only came out like in nineteen forty seven or so. How the fuck do you know when the first motorized chainsaw came out? Pawn Stars. This is why I love you. Are you kidding me? That's why I fucking love you. Dylan is literally, you're like the barman extraordinaire. You know a lot about a little of things, a, 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 a little bit about a lot of things. But but in reality with Dylan, Dylan knows a lot about a lot of things. Uh, it's gonna, that's the key with bartending. You got to stick and move little jokes here and there. That's the, uh, that's the idea. So you got to have little one-liners to get through, you know? So how did, so where did you tell us, tell us about you? Where'd you grow up? What'd you do? How did you get involved in this crazy fucking world? Well, I, you know, I, I grew up all over the country. I was raised by my father. He's a butcher, single father, raising three kids on his own. And uh, so we kept on moving around the country so my dad could find work. So it kind of bounced around a lot. And then like I graduated high school in like South Central Pennsylvania and uh, started working where? at uh, Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Dude, why did I not know that? I don't know. <laughs> Dude, that's the king of fucking baloney. King of baloney, yeah, the Lebanon baloney. That's right. They even have a giant baloney stick that's dropped down on uh, New Year's Eve. No. <laughs> yeah, they drop baloney on New Year's Eve. Dude, I'm totally, I'm totally, <laughs> totally fucking going to, I'm going there. I'm going to spend New Year's Eve there this year. You can spend New Year's Eve in Lebanon. You're going to love it. It's going to be. That baloney is incredible. <laughs> I'm not even lying to you, dude. I'm totally going to go there. I love I love checking out super cool New Year's, like New Year's Eve or New Year's Eve stuff. But New Year's Day is spent in Philadelphia. Well, that's like you have the Mummers Parade. You have to can't miss that. Mummers. I was in L.A. this past year. Uh. Michael Tips's place. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> all right, so go ahead. So you're from, grew up all over. Dad was a butcher, ended up in Lebanon, which makes total sense because of all the farming that goes on out there, all the production in yes. reality that happens to, there's a tremendous amount of cattle as well as pig at the whole nine yards out there. Yeah, so I spent my whole life, you know, pretty much around meat and watching my dad, you know, butcher whole animals and all that. So I'm pretty, pretty familiar with that process. Sometimes I wish I would have paid more attention because, you know, you walk through a grocery store. My dad would always stop at the meat shelf and point out what's wrong with this cut of meat, what's right with this cut of meat over here. Total expert on it. It's his entire career. That's awesome, dude. I wish I, I mean, like, I know I share tidbits of information. No, I share a lot of information with my girls about cooking and all of that stuff. But I don't think I've ever gotten into, like, the nuances of the whole animal. Yeah, it's, it's pretty it's pretty incredible when you think about it. It's something that I've never really dive too much in either and you know, just to have that and it's like a skill set i think that's being lost because most of the time what you have now with butchers it's just the uh, guy that works in the back at the grocery store he's not an expert that's been doing this for 15 20 years or, or he's really passionate about it it's just his job to slice up this piece of meat every once in a while it's so true but you know what's really cool man we're seeing a lot of it starting to come back there is a resurgence of like craft like butcher shops and that you're starting to find in cities and there's even people like that do like almost like in a food truck style I always had this cool idea of concept for like a bar is if you um, you don't have a kitchen, but you have a butcher shop there and then you just have a bunch of gas grills and everyone just go up, buy a steak and they grill it up themselves. It's this big party atmosphere, you know, people passing food back to back and forth, really communal type of event with live music. There's a place in Philly called Kensington Quarters and you walk in the front door and there is a butcher shop right there. So they'll be breaking down a side of beef. Uh right in front of you and then they'll literally do the cuts throw everything into the uh into the the case and you can actually buy product there but they also have a full service restaurant okay which is pretty cool and there's a place in chicago that is oddly enough around the corner weird the only i don't can't remember the name of it but it's around the corner from a place that called estelle's so if you ever go to chicago look up this place called estelle's and if you're facing estelle's go to the right about a half a block and there's a butcher shop there and there was a really cool chef old army guy can't remember his name who was running this property and he was he brought like the butcher shop concept back and he does a really nice job with it <clears throat> but Anyway, we're digressing. Okay, so 
Chad Butcher, you're fully involved. You've kind of learned and watched this up all growing around. So how, so keep going. What, what was high school? Were you like a sports? Did you play sports or what was your world? No, no. I, I barely graduated. I just actually shouldn't have graduated. I was kind of a problem child. <laughs> 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 like, I, I'm pretty sure I failed all my classes my senior year and they're just like, please just leave. Here's your leave. <laughs> Don't come back. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. I had that happen to me in Catholic school in fifth grade. So I know the feeling. They were like, thank you. God wants you to leave. <laughs> yeah, we'd appreciate that. We'd like you to go to school with all of the Jewish kids now, which is what I did. So and then I dated the ball. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you went, did you go to school in Lebanon? Uh, yeah. So Lebanon high school. And then I transferred schools my senior year to Cedar Crest high school, but still in the same town. Same. Pretty area, much. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I just did different schools. Maybe one, that's one of the reasons I didn't really do so well my senior year, especially. So I was just hey, kind of like, uh, can you get the fuck out now? Thanks. Yeah. We appreciate <laughs> Take these three guys with you as well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I did that. And then I, uh, my first job out of high school was making uh, candy bar wrappers for Hershey. Uh, yeah, I didn't make, I didn't work for Hershey. I worked for a company that just made the candy bar wrappers and the, uh, the job was awful. The chemicals you worked with are so dangerous and volatile uh, and flammable. Like everything was grounded and bonded. So oh, it was just, it just anything, one spark would set this stuff off and blow it up. You know? the fuck <laughs> and we're Here, dig in boys and girls. It's a wonder why every fucking child out there is allergic to something. Exactly. Or we have disease and, and anger issues. Hmm. <laughs> and then, Can you know, I have another Hershey's kiss, please? <laughs> the hours too, like we're like 7 PM to 7 AM and you weren't allowed to go outside. You had to stay inside the building all the time. <laughs> it's dead serious. This is making, and like, it dawned on me. It's like, all I'm doing is making garbage. That's and hold I, on, hold on. So you were, crap. and you were what? 18? 18. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How long did you work there? Uh, Eight months before I got fired, <laughs> I went. Ins- I went outside too many times. <laughs> and why'd you get fired? Oh fuck! See, exactly. You were breaking outside. the rules. Exactly. I was like, That's can't so- keep me locked in here. <laughs> so who? What? Like, do you remember any of the people you worked with? I, I don't remember any of their names. Like, I definitely picture their faces. Right. But I mean, was there like, like the, the, the stereotypical supervisor? Yeah, they in- walked. Yeah, they walked around walkie talkies. And right. that's how they would know if a door was open. It'd be like door three open. That's how they knew if you'd go outside or not. <laughs> what were you doing outside? Like smoking butts? Smoking cigarettes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this was what year? Uh, this would be like 98, 99. Okay. All right. I gotcha. All right. So you get fired for smoking too much. Yes. And then what happens? Uh, I found, I heard that uh, servers are making hundred dollars a day waiting tables at a Red Robin in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And you know where that Red Robin is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a very popular Red I've Robin. Been there a lot of time. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Red Robin's a Denver company. Yeah, I thought it was a Seattle company. Well, I know that that uh, I think are based here in Denver now. That's why Denver has so many chain restaurants because a lot of them have put their corporate offices in Denver. Well, that and that's where the corporate office is. That's what yeah. I mean. Is it's right there? And what do they call that? Yum University. Is that what they call it? I have no yeah, idea. I, I've cooked in the yum kitchen before. Oh, fun. <laughs> I had a lot of fun in Denver. I met, I actually became very good friends with the, the, the director, the beverage director for red Robin. Awesome. Amazing girl. Super cool chick. Oh, who oh. could drink. That's, that's like a fucking rock star. <laughs> that was yeah. really good. I mean, that's yeah. a pretty, that's a really cool gig and everything to have. I always thought like red Robin was pretty progressive on their, their cocktail menu. They were the first chain restaurant to really break out with like uh, craft beer cocktails. And that's was, Katie. Katie yeah, was the yeah. one who t- oversaw all of that. That's cool. That's far out. She did some really cool stuff, man. She made a mark at a young age with a company. She made a mark. It was really pretty cool. We all went out one night. It was the 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 like the regional or or, or uh, national salesperson for Miller Coors, who I worked with. I used to de- I developed recipes for Miller Coors. Okay. This girl Katie and other friends of ours, and we went to. You know the Blue Moon Tasting Room that they have in Denver. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So there's a dive bar beneath that. Okay. So if you're going up the little hill on the right hand side, there's a tiny little dive bar. Oh, I never hit that one up. And and as you walk in the front door, I have pictures. Now I'll I'll send this to you as well. But there's a picture that says you must ask Pam before you use this payphone. <laughs> it's like handwritten on the wall. They have been laminated. 
but you had to ask Pam before you used the payphone. What if she, so, maybe she's on the other line or what? No, <laughs> it was like tied into a business line. Maybe there was a fax if somebody was waiting for. That's how their internet like, goes through. And I <laughs> was carpet on the floor. Carpet on the floor. That's oh, all I can say. Love carpet. I think it was fucking red. <laughs> So, okay. So you start working at, at Red Robin and I mean, what was that like? Like a first major job and, but it's now for a corporate, like a, a corporate setting in, in, in the, in the year 99. Well, like, like from day one, it fit me like a glove and I knew I was going to be doing this for the rest of my life. But I was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm working in restaurants. I was hired to be a bartender with no experience. I thought that was crazy. Cool. I, had to, I had to wait tables for two weeks, but I knew immediately this is what I was doing for the rest of my life. It fit me perfectly. I'm a high energy person anyway, so being trapped in an office is definitely not an option. And just like the organized chaos of restaurants was great. And I think I, uh, starting off like in a corporate, a corporate atmosphere is a great way to begin because they make sure that you get covered with all your basics, you know, like your, your meeting, your 30 second greets, double checking and checking on tables, you know, uh, you know, your first bite, double checks, all of that. Like they really, gives you a great foundation to build off of. And I did that for, I don't know, maybe, maybe a year and a half to two years. Then I decided that if I'm going to keep doing this whole bar game, I need to move to a big city and go bartend so you can make some real money. So I moved to Philadelphia. Right. Yeah. And where'd you work in Philly? Uh, I worked at a bunch of places in Philly. I worked at a uh, Tragos luxury lounge was on 19th and chestnut. Uh, the Irish pub. Never, on 20th and never even heard of that. Uh, yeah. That was a long time ago. Tragos. Yeah, it's a, it was on 19th Street, uh, uh, one block uh, north of Chestnut, like halfway in between Chestnut and the next block. Okay, I got uh, that. It'll be on the left-hand side of the street if you're walking up. I don't know. I'm sure the building's still there, but Trago's closed a long time ago. Right. Uh, nightclubs only have a lifespan of like five to seven years, so. Yeah. Trago. Okay, so Trago, then you went to the Irish Pub. Irish Pub on 20th and Walnut. Yeah, uh, which, and an Irish Pub is, like, that was... I mean, dude, they're still there. Oh, that's a landmark. They, yeah, they I mean, they've really, they've got that really weird kind of uh, seating area in the front where the windows open up that's right on Walnut. Yeah. Or no, right, right on 20th. Uh, no, it's on Walnut. Right on, it Walnut. on Walnut. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it is. Wow. Irish Pub. What a fun little spot, man. Yeah, it's a rocking, busy little bar. Pretty big bar, actually, there in Philly. That's a, they did a really good job. Yeah, they have for years. Hmm, that's cool. So where else? Uh, the Smoked Joint on 1420 Locust Street. Never, no idea where that is. <laughs> Adam Gertler. I don't know if you even know him. He's from, he, he was one of the owners of that restaurant. No. Uh, then there was um, uh, Finn McCool's on 15th and Sansom. Or 13th and Sansom. Finn yeah, McCool's Finn there. McCool's fun little yeah. spot. And yeah, that's all the places I worked in. Philly. Yeah. And then after Philly, I decided that I wanted to start moving around a little bit. So I moved to uh, New Orleans and I bartended there for a couple of years on Bourbon Street. Dude, what? What, oh, yes. is, what is that? I mean, first off, like to be able to just say, okay, fuck it. I'm going to New Orleans now <laughs> alone takes a huge set of balls. And this is like, this is like maybe four or five months after the storm, after Katrina. So it's like the wild west. Holy shit. No way. Yeah. It was, it was pretty intense. Like <laughs> Humvees and stuff driving around. There was no yeah. hospital. I remember I broke my hand in a bar fight there and uh, there's what? no hospital Dylan. to go to. <laughs> you know? ah. so they take you to the Lord and Taylor building and they convert it to like a field hospital, cubicle set up and you go from cubicle to cubicle. And uh, that's where you get your x-rays and your cast. Uh, I'm getting ready to be, and it's me and a bunch of crackheads. And a nurse comes up to me and she wants to talk to me for a second, pulls me aside. And she asks, they can take my picture to use for the sign for the side of the hospital they had set up. Cause there's no picture or no sign or anything. And that was the only non crackhead there. So I won that day. Sure. So Let's the take photo. the non crackhead white guy and throw him <laughs> on the side of a building in a city at this point right now that is literally doing everything in its power to stay alive. <laughs> yeah. There's a picture of me on the side of the building with like my hand up with the cast and doctors behind me with their hands on my shoulders and me smiling. Like, look, I'm better now. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> okay. Okay. Pretend like you feel good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so where did you work on Bourbon Street? Uh, Funky 544 and Fat Cats. They're wow. on Bourbon and Toulouse and Bourbon and St. Louis. They're owned by the same people. Wow, dude. <laughs> and, and I mean, what, 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 like, what was... You know, we, we all know what New Orleans is like now. So, like, they just redid Bourbon Street in the last yeah, couple they just of months. Did. Yeah, like, like, they started last year. Last summer they started. Right. So they, yeah. did, they did that. I mean, the city itself... Is still has a little bit of struggle. 
you know, yeah. especially over in that ninth ward and everything else that's going on over there. A lot of blight, a lot of shit that's still not fixed, you know, still just like big, fat, moldy houses, just oh, yeah. harboring bacteria. I, I mean, five months after it happened, like, was there a resurgence that you saw at that point? Were you trying to get down there to get involved in the resurgence or were you like, just fuck it, I want to go there? I just wanted to live in New Orleans. Okay. All right. <laughs> but I would like, like, like the, the city that really did need though was to have people moving to New Orleans and living in New Orleans as opposed to people just going down there to work for like a few days to build a house. They really needed people to live there, pay taxes, and work. Because when I got down there, like Applebee's was paying them, was paying people like two thousand dollars for signing on bonuses, wow. and like Taco Bell. This is this is a long time ago. Taco Bell was paying people. $18 an hour to start because they couldn't find people to work. Sure. Yeah. So they, they had that, you had that going on in the city. And then like you had, um, like, I remember like there'd be times I would just be going home and it'll be like, you know, 10 AM I'm like going, finally going home. And there'd be like bands of like roosters and chickens running through the streets. And, uh, well, cause cockfighting at the time was legal in Louisiana. And I remember there were, there were times on the radio, there'd be just debating whether or not cockfighting should be legal in Louisiana, which I thought was really way out there. Right? <laughs> I, I found a way out there that you were listening to the radio. Who <laughs> <laughs> the fuck listens to the radio anymore? It's like, turn on, turn on, turn on MMR. What fucking channel is that? Where on Spotify is MMR? Like, you know, where do I find that on Pandora? I don't think I have a radio anymore. The last time I was in New Orleans, this guy tried to sell me a CD and I'm like, I, don't, I was like, what do I do with this? I don't have a CD player. His response is, someday you will, man. Just save up your money. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, our director of operations at the restaurant down in North Carolina knows that I love like bluegrass and all that stuff. And she gave me the, the, the sweetest gift the other day. It's a tribute, a bluegrass tribute band to the Foo Fighters. Oh, cool. And she gave me a CD. And oddly enough, I just had like, I just bought a new Jeep and I put in a, uh, like a, a, I don't know, whatever, super fancy touch screen radio or whatever yeah. but it's got a cd player so i literally like got i it took 20 minutes to get the the plastic <laughs> off the cd but then open it up and i've been like driving around listening to the cd all the time now it's fucking great <laughs> someday you can Staples, afford a cd player. songs there are 15 songs on this <laughs> well I, I just recently got into albums again oh records really which do you know the worst part about listening to an album yeah what's that <laughs> getting up and fucking having to change it <laughs> like I, we have a thing around here called dump day where you get to take all your old shit that's, that's accrued in your house and you get to, to go and throw it out at the refuse center in our township. Okay. And I, and next to one of the dump trucks was like a, like a, a double sized milk crate. One of those, you know, like, but it was wooden. Okay. And there were probably, I don't know, 75 albums in there. The Beatles, the oh, who, but- Led oh, Zeppelin. that's really good stuff. Like crazy Abbey Road, fucking Billy Joel, like like Glass Billy Houses. Joel. Remember that album? Oh yeah, it was, it was like Billy Joel too, man. Yeah, like, was standing there on the money. Like, I know, and, and I and I've just been listening like Janis Joplin, Yaz. Do you remember fucking Yaz? Yes. yes well, I got yes. the album. I'm super stoked. <laughs> I'm super excited. Of course, I have like a sixty dollar Bluetooth turntable. But I just got rid of all my liquor in my dining room and put it on a shelf and then put my turntable in the corner. So, yeah. All right. So, CD, New Orleans. How long were you in New Orleans for? Uh, three years, maybe four years. Wow. So I did lose track in that time. And I spent three or four years just perpetually recovering for the night before. I was wasted every day. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So, hold on. I want to go back because I want to – like, what – five months after Katrina – I mean, what, what are, what is that? I still just can't, I can't fathom what that's like in a city that was just completely like dead bodies were floating down the streets. Yeah. Like there's still like, um, like there's still, people were still suffering, but they were happy to see the city coming back, I guess a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there are blue tarps everywhere on top of every house is a blue tarp from losing its roof. And there's still like whole, even like in neighborhoods, like whole house is just totally destroyed. Sure. And every, like, instead of every other house around it looked fine. Like, uh, and the city was still recovering. Like, there were Humvees driving around everywhere. Uh, you know, it was a very, like, 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 whole, like, neighborhoods as well, just completely abandoned as you drive through them. Uh, it was pretty, pretty unique experience to live there right after the storm. That's crazy. But three years, man. I mean, that's a, that's a long, I mean, that's like living in Vegas for three years in bartending. <laughs> it's a long, 
a tour of duty on Bourbon Street. Yeah. Oh my God. Especially Bourbon. Jesus. And you're so you're so right. You're like a perpetual hangover. Oh yeah. <laughs> What's your what is your what is your go to story for New Orleans? Uh, um. I, I, okay. So I used to there. There's banditos, this biker game. They used to hang out at my bar, and they would come in there every once in a while. And um, the one guy was huge. He towered over me. You know, I'm six two. This guy towered over me. And he had long gray hair and like that gray mustache and beard that was long. And he had his girlfriend with him who was short, but probably even scarier than he was. And he was hanging out at my bar, and I had this belt buckle, and it was a guy on a motorcycle, and the colors were red and yellow, which were the bandito colors. And this guy's looking at me. He's like, Hey, Hey, how much for the bell buckle? <laughs> I'm like, hey, it's not for sale. It's not for sale. I go back to work and he goes, Hey, I'm trying to save your life here. How much for the bell buckle? <laughs> and there's sometimes in life where you have to have some balls and uh, really go a long way. Right. And I, I look at this guy and I go, well, bring me a hell's angels helmet and I'll give you my belt buckle. And he gets upset. He goes, hell's angels helmet, hell's angels helmet. What's wrong with the banditos? And I look at him. And I'm like, Hunter S. Thompson never wrote a book about the banditos. <laughs> oh, uh, they loved me after that. They like sure. this guy. You know, <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, pretty intense. I, I thought you know, you go either way, but yeah, after that, they loved me. <laughs> Dude, I I went down there. So when we first started doing rescue, uh, tips and uh, I can was it tips ended up we were in New Orleans. And no, we were fucking shooting in New Orleans. And I had to go to Vegas directly after New Orleans. So I spent seven days in New Orleans and then four days in Vegas directly after it. And I was walking into my hotel at four o'clock in the morning and my phone, and I got a little ding on my phone. It was my, it was the, one of the EPs on the show and he just texts casino question mark <laughs> I turn around the, from the hotel and I walk across the street to the casino. I go into the casino and there is, uh, there's one of the producers sitting at the blackjack table. So I joined the blackjack table and I'm a fucked up blackjack player. I'm like a double down on 13 kind of guy. <laughs> like I really push it. It's gambling. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm you may gamble. as well. You got to get one fucking card. You may as well make it worthwhile. You know, if you're going to make that happen. So I'm playing, I'm playing. And uh, I finally leave the casino at seven 30 in the morning. And I walk out the front door of the casino and I've got like a baseball hat on. I've got sunglasses on because the sun was fucking brutal. It was a Sunday morning in new Orleans, right along the, right along the lake. What, what, what lake is that? Champlain. What's the name of that? Champlain's in New York. I Lake made that Lake, up. Lake Mead or Lake Mead. I don't know. Whatever it is. Whatever's right in, in New Orleans where the casino oh, is. Whatever that. Pontchartrain. That's it. Okay. So I walk out and I get to the side. I get to the side, like the sidewalk. Yeah. I look up and there's a red light right there. So I look right. I look left. And as I look left, I hear a gunshot. And it's a fucking marathon. <laughs> and here's me like short fat, sweaty, <laughs> drunk, sitting in a casino for four fucking hours, five, whatever it was. And they're just running past me, just <laughs> judging me as I sweat. On the side. So, dude, <laughs> so bad. That was like my last massive experience in New Orleans. So it was a good one, but it was, a <laughs> um, so where'd you go after New Orleans? Uh, I went to Tallahassee, Florida to sober up. I wanted to. Clear, I didn't want to. I didn't want to drink for a year, and I figured Tallahassee. There's no reason to go out, and so I went to Tallahassee for a year. Yeah. And how much did you drink in Tallahassee? Not a drop. Really? Yeah, I didn't drink for a whole year. Wow, but but you were still bartending. Yeah, I was still bartending. I was bartending at a uh, at Miller's Ale House, like a corporate sports sure. bar you find down in Florida, a chain yeah. down there. Yeah. Why did you choose Tallahassee? Oh. Uh, it was relatively close by to New Orleans. Um, it was a, uh, also it's a college town. So I wanted to go like in a smaller town. So there's no reason to go out drinking, but also where you can make enough money that you can leave, you know, as opposed to you just go to a small town, there's no business and you might get trapped there, which I definitely didn't want to have happen. Right. So I chose Tallahassee. It was also, I was dating a girl at the time, this beautiful uh, Persian acrobat contortionist who was, uh, from that area. So she wanted to go there. Wow. Yeah. You followed a chick. 
acrobat and contortionist. <laughs> Sorry, not a chick, an acrobat and contortionist. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Okay. All right. So, and so now, I mean, obviously you're building, I mean, you knew at that point, once you got into that corporate world, it was really something that you want to do. When did you start? And, and at that point you were bartending. I mean, yeah. when did you start to get into really more of the craft of what you did of what you do now. Like where was there, was there like a poignant moment that you remember you were like, you know what? I think I want to, I want this to be like my style. Well, I started feeling like, um, I, I started feeling like, uh, almost like unfulfilled, you know, just making gin and sodas and vodka tonics and whatnot. And I, a friend of mine, uh, John Arroyo as the uh, beverage director for, um, founding farmers, that whole company. And he reached out to me and asked, Oh yeah. Me if I Dude, founding to farmers yeah. is in, there's one in Philly. Yeah. I know. He just opened that one up. Yeah, you got one in Center it. City, right? <laughs> yeah, well, we have one in Center City, and then we have another one that's out in King of Prussia. But yeah. I'll tell you what, dude, the ambiance is absolutely awesome. Uh, the bar has a really good program, but the food's just kind of mediocre. I always thought the food was uh, like when I worked. So when I worked in D.C., the one in D.C. on uh, 20th in Pennsylvania has been the most booked restaurant in the country and open table for like eight years now, of running or so, and. Uh, I always thought that the emperor didn't have any clothes when it came to the food. I was, I didn't think the food was that great. I thought it was like just salt and butter. And I thought the beverage program really carried that whole, uh, the whole program itself. I I totally, 100% agree with you. 100% agree with you. It's, it's the, the potential for farm to table is massive within this because they're, they're telling you we're founding farmers. This is who we are. This is what we do, but they just, they, they provide a mediocre product. Yeah. They, they, they're, they're, well, it was, yeah, it was pretty much like, uh, the, uh, the owners of that company, they came from the cheesecake factory. I think they took that same model uh, and uh, well, brought it right go. over. Yeah. That's a failing model. Let's yeah. put 400 fucking items on a menu. <laughs> Let's prepare everything in house and see who shows up. <laughs> it's Ryan. I now I've had I've had a salad at, at at Cheesecake Factory. I just I can't justify eating in a place that has a menu that is that big. I don't think I've never been to a Cheesecake Factory. I've never had any desire. I know about the menu, and that means you're like if you have four hundred things on your menu, that means you're not executing anything well. You know, you're just pushing stuff out. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of like that's you know what's to say that you're not going to sell the tilapia for a day. <laughs> I wonder how much waste they have. Like, <laughs> I can't even imagine what their waste must be. I just can't even imagine. I mean, I can't. Uh, uh, I mean, they literally have like, th- what, 300 items on a menu? Maybe they're cross-utilizing really well for their products. I mean, that's the only way you can- I mean, they have to. And there's, yeah. got, there's just, there's so many moving parts to that. Step aside, put the, put the dessert portion of it aside. Yes. Just the savory section. <laughs> The amount of proteins that they must be bringing in is is unfathomable. They must have a massive, massive kitchen. Can you imagine your line set up? Like if you're working saute and, you you know, there's like, you know, 240 items on the menu that come from the saute station. Like <laughs> <laughs> there's that poor guy. <laughs> seven guys working saute. <laughs> you are going to the make these 12 items. You are going to make these 22 yeah. I mean, hey, look, more power to them. They've yeah. got, I mean, how many, how many properties does Cheesecake Factory have? How many, this is why I need like, I need like a producer sitting next to me. I love you, Terry. <laughs> and I know you're out there, but you're a busy dude. How many Cheesecake Factories are out there? There we go. How many Cheesecake Factories are there? 100. Okay. The company operates. 210 full serve 194 are cheesecake factory 14 are grand lux cafe and two are called rock sugar pan asian wow founded in 1972 as a bakery wow i can see that as a bakery makes sense right 194 cheesecake factories wow (laughs) how many items are on there how many items I love this Google thing. Have you checked this stuff out? Never heard of it. Google? No. <laughs> yeah. Factory menu items. This Google is amazing. I've been um, using Bing the <laughs> Are you really your Bing guy? Bing no, likes I have no idea. <laughs> and then when you go to a fucked up website and it takes over, it's like, fuck you, Google. <laughs> I, I think I, I don't think I've ever actually used Bing. <laughs> 
Oh, I, I know I have, but okay. How many Cheesecake Factory items? There we go. Okay. There we go. Uh, the first, oh, this is every, it's 200. They have 200 over 250 items on their menu. Wow. That's craziness. Craziness. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so you, so where was your, I don't think we ever got the, the full answer. What was your poignant moment to say, this is the direction that I want to go, or this is going to be my style. Um, it was it was when I was working in D.C. for Founding Farmers. I became very passionate about that um, side of the business of creating craft cocktails and that experience and those great flavors and and what goes into it. And like uh, coming up with your own style, it was important for me to like, incorporate. You know, I've always been fast working in lots of nightclubs and very busy bars, and I wanted to incorporate that into the cocktail world because I think people are tired of waiting fifteen minutes for a drink and they're tired of having to make like a a reservation to have a secret password to go through a door and then to have the bartender treat you like a douche. Cause you don't know where chartreuse is people over that, you know? So exactly. <laughs> I wanted to incorporate the fact of bartending, which is a skill and an art, uh, with making great cocktails with mixology, I guess. And, uh, marriage those two worlds together. Cause the, the American palate has definitely changed. It's gone from apple martinis to Moscow meals over my career. And, uh, they want to have that. And, but they are tired of the pretentiousness. They're tired of a bartender that, is they, they don't can't they don't have jokes they don't have to talk to people they they don't pay attention to sports whether or not you like sports pay attention because your job is to entertain guests and you know if they want to talk about football you should be well versed on football so you can talk to them about football they don't want to talk about green chartreuse yeah you know? <laughs> so fucking true like and and it is it's the it's and look i'm not gonna i'm not here to knock anybody or anything like that but you know i mean it, you're the mixology world turned bartenders into dicks it did. They were no longer friendly. They were no longer approachable. Is, and uh, and that's not what this whole game is. This whole game is service and providing good experiences for people. And uh, you know, you want to have people keep coming back. And the only way to do that is to you know be a real bartender, have jokes, be able to talk to people, uh, you know, have small stories, uh, you know, have fun. Exactly, and bring sexy right. back into bartending. There was years ago. I worked for the the uh, I worked for a group call what the fuck was in big uh what the hell was the name of the group i can't even remember the restaurant group now it's a fish restaurant either way doesn't matter i worked for these guys and they had they had great properties man they had awesome properties and i wish i could remember the name but it's, it's on the tip of my tongue but the, the the lead kind of director of operations guy was an old school bartender and he always said, he said, you know, my, my, my best job as a bartender is where my best, my favorite thing about being a bartender is the fact that I'm, I'm a connector. Yes. You know, you, you have start to have communications with your guests when they come in and they sit down and you know what, if somebody's just going to sit there and stare at their phone, they may not want to be engaged at that moment, but there's a point where they're going to look up and kind of look around and see who's around you or see what's on TV or whatever. And that's an opportunity for engagement right there. It and is. he said, definitely the best, the best thing that he would ever do was he would stand back and he would just say, Oh, Hey Dylan, this is Brian Duffy. Dylan, <laughs> Brian Duffy's a chef. chef. You know, Brian, Dylan is a mixologist, and that was a connecting point for him. That was, you know, just by getting to know people or asking the simple question, hey, my name's, my name's Brian or my name's Dylan. What do you do? Like the simple art of creating or, or beginning a conversation uh, it, it is really a, a great sign of a fucking bartender. It, it is, and they just having to be able to create those conversations, those mem those moments, and um, keep on like bars are supposed to be communal and social atmospheres, and I I I do too, like even now today, like I take guests to the bar, introduce them to themselves, to each other. So because what you're doing, you're creating a scene, a community, and therefore even more bar business because now they have friends at this bar as opposed to just talking to the bartender. They're going to keep what? coming back in, and you would create these pockets of groups of people, and the more of these like. Uh, connections you make the busier and busier your bar will eventually become because you know you're all going to keep piling in and you now that's also makes the job fun i mean i'm still a believer in uh like in a sports bar or something like that of newspapers on the bar uh, i can see that because like i don't i don't have newspapers on my bar because i think everyone has them on their phones but like it is the, the phone does create that barrier yeah totally you're not going to have, you're not going to just interrupt. I just think that, you know, leaving a sports section out or leaving a financial section or leaving the food section out on a bar 
you know, for somebody to come in and just be able to grab a piece of that, you know, and, and just check it out for a little bit or whatever it is. I don't know. Maybe I'm old school. I just, I, I think that if we can get people off of their phones, that the whole dynamic of the bar itself just changes. Yeah. Well, well cause what happens is like when people are on their phones, like, um, no one wants to interrupt them. They could be doing something important. It could be an email or, or they could just be looking at news. You don't know. But if they're looking at a newspaper, you can always talk to someone reading a newspaper. They don't mind the interruption. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so there, there was a great bar um, years ago, not even years ago, in Maryland. It was in a little town called Betterton, Maryland. And there was a guy named Frank Benass who owned the bar. And Frank was an old school Irish bartender that I met working up in, 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 the, in Philadelphia. And I remember going down to his bar one day and sitting down at the bar and it was probably about 5.30 or 6 o'clock on like a Thursday afternoon. And I noticed that none of the TVs were on and nobody was on their phone at the bar. <laughs> and I said to him, I'm like, dude, what's up with the TVs? He's like, honestly, unless it's like World Cup or a championship game or something, he said, we never have them on because people just sit here and communicate. They just talk. And I stopped and I kind of looked around at the bar and there was maybe one or two people on their phone, maybe 30 people in the bar, but it was a true Irish pub where everybody was engaging and communicating and talking to each other. And, you know, the chef is yelling out of the tiny little window, like, Tim, here's your wings. Like there was just a great, you know, you just felt it. And oddly enough, the music was like super low, but it was just a, a very engaging bar. Yeah. Like, like what I do even take, what I do now is like, like with TVs and bars, unless there's like a game on that, that the people are there to watch, like I'll have the, the TVs turned on to movies, but they just can't be any movies. I have a whole system for this. It has to be like movies we have all seen, but have not seen in a long time. So therefore, Breakfast the Club, Breakfast Club, uh, The Goonies, uh, Tommy Boy, things Lucky's like that. Goonies. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. And if that's on with the sound off, you don't need the sound for it. That actually that will stimulate conversation because everyone remembers this movie and goes, up right. there, up there, that is their time. Down here, down here, this is our time. You know, like people yeah. get into it and they they they, they you know they create that connection via a movie that we've all seen but haven't seen in the years. Have you ever heard of the concept of uh, black and white TV in bars? I've seen some bars that do that. I don't know really I, I've never seen it being that successful. It just seems like more um I don't know. Like, if you're not into that style of movies, then you're really not welcome. <laughs> well, I'm not even talking about the movies. Like, oh. to change to change the actual contrast of the picture. And it was like, there's a great bar that I go to up here. Little pretentious. It's one of those places. There's way too many divorced guys trying to pick up young girls. Young girls in there trying to make fun of their sugar daddy. That sort of stuff. I'm just a short fat guy who sits at the bar in a t-shirt and flip flops. And <laughs> But but they have the TVs behind the bar are always black and white. But it's like, you know, it's the NBA championship game, but it's black and white. Oh, that's cool. So and it's not being done. I honestly don't believe it's being done. You know, at you and I, I think are in the same school where we try to we look at something that somebody's doing in a bar and trying to find out one, why they did it. And two, is it working? Is it working? Yeah. You, you know, originally you look at a black and white screen and you go, hey, your TV's broken. <laughs> but in this case, I honestly believe that there's a there's a reason for it. And I think that it's kind of just to be there, but not to be a distraction. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Like I was just like uh, sometimes I feel like TVs and bars are just thrown in there and they're not necessary and they can distract from the whole experience. And uh, if you just go black and white, yes, the game is on the TV for you. If you're that's what you're going to be taking over your experience itself with having those bright colors and the flash of the TV the entire time. You broke up during every single oh. thing that you just said. <laughs> yeah. So is that better? Are now? you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? I think there's like, yeah, there we go. I think there's like a time limit on Wi-Fi. Like your Wi-Fi providers like, oh, fuck, this guy's throwing a lot of bandwidth out. Let's <laughs> cut him up. Okay, so go ahead. What were you just saying? We, I said about uh, like kind of the, 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 the reasoning behind doing something. And yeah, you started... So yeah, with, so with the black and white TV, like, therefore, you can provide the experience for someone that wants to watch the game, but it's not being intrusive to the people who are not there to watch the game. So it's not taking over their experience as well. I kind of like that idea. That's really, that's fun. All right. So fast forward now to kind of where you are at this point. So what are you doing now? Uh, so I managed the... Uh, my phone is not a train actually coming through my, <laughs> my office to say that. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I live right by the L. You know? <laughs> got, a really, exactly. got a really cheap, though. It's a really, really nice apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, so I, I'm running this bar. So uh, I moved to Denver. I was running three beverage programs for one restaurant group. I left that company in June uh, to work with this new company, uh, which has. So right now, we just have one bar that I'm running. It's Pony Up. And uh, there's plans for rapid expansion. And uh, the, also, the company that runs it, Seamus Feely Hospitality. Uh, there's also lots of opportunity there for more um, consulting work on the side. So that's really what I'm aiming for, move up in that direction. So. And so, I mean, at this point, you know, I, I mean, if so, if you had to kind of put a label on what it is that you do, which is, you know, I mean, I'm a chef. And, and the first thing that everybody says to me is, what's your favorite thing to cook? What is your... <laughs> And, and, and I say to them, like, well, what do you do? I'm a computer program. I'm like, what's your favorite program to, to put together? You know, and I don't say it in a rude way, but it's like to ask a chef what their favorite thing to cook is. We, we, I think we just stumble. Yeah. When people ask me that, what's your people ask me what I do. I, I still say I'm a bartender. Uh, sure. I'm a bartender. And so what is the question. difference between a bartender and a mixologist? Uh, a bartender is an asshole. A mixologist is a douche. <laughs> okay. There you go. Rock and roll. An yeah. asshole who connects people. Yeah, exactly. And it's who uses a spritzer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have jokes. <laughs> P.S. P.S. We actually do love all of you people we in do. this industry. I want everybody to know. But if you're a douchebag <laughs> mixologist, then guess what? You're not going to get the same tip no matter how great the cocktail is. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't matter how good. You can, there are machines that are making drinks now. There, you can train a monkey to do this. Like. What's that? <laughs> well, now they've got. Have you seen the? Uh, have you seen the the walk system that is now fully automated? The fully automated walk. Oh, I saw that for the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and, and like, I don't know if they're actually in work right now, but somebody needs to take these two dudes out. Like who created that deal. They need to take these two dudes out. But there are weeks where I wish I had that system. <laughs> I don't, I'm feeling a little hungover today. <laughs> exactly. Just put, put the Dylan in place. You should start your own and call it the Dylan. Dylan. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw one of the bartending machines or telling me it's going to replace bartenders. And I went right up to the machine. I'm like, so I want to go out dancing tonight and pick up some girls. Where should I go? Right. And I was exactly. like, I don't think the machine's working. It's not working. <laughs> yeah, exact. Seriously. Hey, and how I, was your day? What are you doing? You know, I think my wife's le- is about to leave me. <laughs> But what the fuck? I think about throwing myself off a bridge. I had some guy tell me that before. What would the machine do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What does the machine do? Exactly. There's a, I went to my grocery store the other day and they now have a machine that like roams the aisles. Oh, that I is heard about there this. to clean up spills. <laughs> like, is there, I don't know. I think that's fucking weird. It's fucking weird. Well, I think like the, for those, those cocktail machines that can make like highball drinks or whatever. Yeah. Like I told the guys that had the machine, I was like, this would work, work really well, like in a really busy nightclub where the bars are, you know, are constantly swamped and people can't get drinks. If you had the machine outside the bar where they could just walk up and order the cocktail they want to at that point, I don't think it would hurt to that many. I don't think it would hurt the bartenders too badly. And more, you would therefore increase your sales of your nightclub, but I don't know if anywhere else. I, I mean, call me, call me whatever the fuck you want. I'm not, I'm not a nightclub guy <laughs> unless Unless there's there's VIP service, yeah. And I'm not trying to be pretentious. I'm honestly, I'm not. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's just not an enjoyable experience to stand at the end of a bar to get a shitty cocktail that you're waiting yeah. for. But that you're waiting for. I don't feel like bartenders in general uh, sometimes are like working that efficiently in that high volume environment. Like there's a whole way to do it, and I feel like you're just. They're not keeping their head up on a swivel. They're not looking all the time. Like you should be able to take drink orders from everybody around you. Like 17, 18 drink orders. I take more drink orders than I can even hold in my head. And that just makes like, I know I'm going to forget a drink order if I take it sometimes, but it still makes that guests know they've been acknowledged and makes them more patient. And you can always go back to them. Sorry. I forgot what you, what you, what you, I forgot what you ordered. Right. Uh, what was it again? And they're still content. Cause like, at least they're recognized and acknowledged and, I, I feel like with nightclubs, you tend to lose out on that experience, and I, I don't enjoy them either. Like unless I'm at a VIP table where there's, there's, I can sit down, it's not crowded. Like yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying. But I mean, in that in that case, you're you're drinking the 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 mass vodka, you know, the big huge bottle of Tito's or Goose <laughs> or whatever it is, you know. And and in reality, you're drinking it with orange juice, cranberry, or Red Bull. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's all it is. You're not getting a high, you know, a well-made cocktail. But at the same time, if you're going up to a bar, you're not getting a well-made cocktail there either. Yeah. Most of the, most of the nightclubs don't really focus so much on the craft experience as much as its volume. And so they right. stick with, you know, high balls and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what is your, I mean, one of the things that I I've enjoyed so much about one, our friendship two it's just so everybody knows Dylan and I've known each other for a couple of years. Um, we've become friends over those years. We do work together in, uh, in, in a setting in Vegas where, uh, called the nightclub and bar show. I talk about it ever, all the time. Dylan has since, I mean, since its inception actually been involved in the food and beverage innovation center is a very integral part at this part. So the food and beverage innovation center is not just about, you know, pumping food out. Dylan takes the recipes that every chef uh, makes or the dishes that they're making and he pairs a cocktail with it. And, and, and I always like to tell people, Dylan, that there's, it's almost like you're adding that chef's personality into that cocktail at the same time, despite the fact that you gave me, what the fuck cocktail did you make for me that was so delicious that was in like a tulip glass? That was the uh, Duffified Slag, and that was a bourbon uh, with a chai-infused, uh, chai tea-infused sweet vermouth that's smoked with a uh, lemon juice, orange juice, and a house-made grenadine. And what was the glass? Uh, the glass was a tulip. It was a, a coupe. I put your cocktail, and that was a beautiful a coupe. crystal coupe. Yeah. My problem is, is that I still tend to drink like a man. <laughs> and I've got larger fingers than most humans. So for me to try to squeeze, like I felt like I was going to break this step. <laughs> so oh, I think man. next year I want you to serve me a cocktail in like, uh, like a Stein. Stein. All right. I got you. I, got you. I think <laughs> I need a Stein for next year. We'll talk to front of house and we will have Steins made just for the Duffified Dylan cocktail. It's the Duffified cocktail. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, so I, you know, I, I think we, we, we've seen so many massive changes within the industry year after year where, uh, I guess what I want to ask you right now is where are we at this point right now? And where do you see us moving into in the next couple of years? You know, food has made a massive maneuver and a massive change from the, the super high end fine dining locations to the gastro pub, you know, or the corner bar is starting to serve amazing food. Where are we in, where are we and where are we going in the mixology slash bartending world? Well, what you're seeing right now is like that pendulum is coming back. Like, just like you said, with food, uh, the fine dining restaurants, now you have these amazing gastro pubs. Uh, you're starting to see these great cocktails are now just leaving the just cocktail bars in general and going back to being more available to the masses. And in the future, you're going to find out that every bar is probably going to start having some sort of like craft cocktail menu because that's where the American palate is headed anyways. Right. Like, like we're talking about like a whole generation uh, people that grew up watching the Food Network, they grew up watching Hell's Kitchens. They've got, seen Gordon Ramsay. Like the America's palates have matured at such a fast rate. I think due to the fact that they grew up watching the Food Network, and that palate just not just for food, but also continues over to cocktails. I see, like I see right now, like you, you your younger crowd that's coming in that are just turning twenty one, and they're asking for you know last words and these crafty gin cocktails. Like how do they know about this at twenty one? I certainly didn't. And that's where the that's where the future is going. Like every bar is going to start having to have an elevated cocktail program, and I think it's it's essential for us, especially when talking to the nightclub and bar show, the food and beverage innovation center, is to show the guests of the nightclub and bar show that any bar can do craft cocktails and execute them efficiently, uh, quickly, and consistently. Dude, fucking nailed that! <laughs> Jesus, that's awesome, brother. Um, well, I know next year's, next year's nightclub and bar and is the 35th anniversary for yes. where, what we're moving into. I'm increasing the volume and we're increasing the space of the food and beverage innovation center. So we're actually going to have 10 chefs doing demos every 45 minutes. I want to make sure one of the things that I did this year was I increased our culinary student for next year. So you're going to have somebody dedicated just oh, to work great. with you. <laughs> so we're going to get some mixology people out there just to work with you so that you can share, you know, showcase your knowledge for what you're going to do. So I'm pretty stoked for what's going to happen next year and what's going on and, and all that good stuff. So, um, so what's going on? Where, so where, where can we find you? And, you know, how can we sit down and have some of your wonderful libations? 
Uh, so you can definitely find me in uh, Denver, Colorado. Beautiful, beautiful Denver, Colorado. The bar is uh, Pony Up, and it's located right there on 1808, 1808 Blake Street. Very nice. And how can we get in contact with you if we want to follow you on social media? Uh, so everything is C. Dylan Holcomb. C- so C- and that's C, C not S-E-E. Uh, C as in uh, as in Charles, yeah. C. Got it. C. Dylan Holcomb. Well, Dylan, dude, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you taking time out. Thank God you're on the East Coast, so we're not like waking you <laughs> up early on the West Coast or in the oh out there in Denver. Like anything, Nine a.m. is brutal for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seriously, um, especially for a bartender. Exactly. It yeah, is. Look at that. Work. I only time. get home at four a.m. <laughs> oh, dude, how is that? Let, let me ask you this before we take off. You just recently married. Yes. In the last year, you also shattered your fucking ankle. I did. That was brutal. <laughs> I mean, that's, but how, how does it, that's a tough run, man. You yeah, know, that's, that was two months out of work. That's just two months on the couch. That's good. You get tired of watching Deadliest Catch. <laughs> exactly. No matter what, we're sick and tired of watching that. Um, that, that pot has a lot of crap. Oh, that pot doesn't have a lot of crap at all. They're in trouble. They have a quota. <laughs> <you know? laughs> well, hold on. Let's have some drama. Let's see what's happening up on deck. Um, this guy almost died again. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's wow. Well, I know I'm pretty stoked. You and I are going to see each other this weekend. We're going to be out in uh, California for a couple days um, with our boy Harv. I'm pretty stoked about that. I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm stoked to get out there and hang out with you, man. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, to see this. Um, so Dylan, dude, thanks so much for hopping on again. I really appreciate it. Everybody can follow Dylan on Twitter, uh, and Instagram at C Dylan Holcomb. You can find Dylan at Dylan Holcomb on, uh, on Facebook and all that good stuff. And, uh, dude, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. My pleasure, man. I'll talk to you. I'll see you Sunday. All right. See you Sunday. So Dylan is, uh, Dylan's a great dude. Really, really good guy. He's been in the industry and, and, you know, uh, you know, he didn't go to like a bartending school. He's, he's the, he's the old school training of being behind the bar and, and getting out there, which is what I love, which is one of the reasons why I, I enjoy working with Dylan so much because he's an off the cuff guy. He's the type of guy who can create something on the fly. He's the guy who doesn't bitch and complain about deadlines or timelines and Oh, excuse me. Listen to me as I start burping. He is uh, one of those guys who he's a, he's a consummate professional in what he does, and he can still hang out at the end of at the end of the night, which is kind of the that's the bartender that I like. So, um, boys and girls, that's the show for this week. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, pretty stoked to be able to uh, welcome Dylan to the show, uh, and for you guys to have the opportunity to listen to what he has to say and, and fun little conversation with that. So, boys and girls, go check him out at C Dylan Holcomb on all those fancy social media sites. And then when you're done that, I want you to go over to RadioInfluence.com. Check out the multitude of podcasts that these boys put together. If you have an idea for a podcast, I highly suggest you reach out to radioinfluence.com, talk to Jerry and Jason, and they're going to let you know, man, whether or not it's a good deal or not. They'll, they'll, they'll work with you. They'll hang out. They'll get everything done for you. Go and check out radioinfluence.com. Uh, Maggie Gagliardi does all of our illustrations. Beautiful individual, big fan of hers. Just got engaged to her boy, Dan, which I love because he's an awesome individual. Um, and then on top of that, we got our girl out there in Breeze, Illinois, Miss Michelle, who does all of our menus for my clients, who also at the same time does all the graphic design work on our websites and everything else. So ladies and gentlemen, thanks for hanging out with Duffified Live this week. Adios, motherfuckers. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a Southern Hospitality with DJ Eakin Quick Fix on Radio Influence. This week's guest is... How do I describe him before I introduce him? This dude is like the ultimate hip-hop historian slash nowadays he's in this tech space. We just we just got so much to talk about today. My man, Eric Mendelson. How important would you say for a kid that wants to get in this game in any kind of way or anybody that wants to get in this game to just be able to offer something to the room? Yeah, I, I, I'm man, you just you really just kind of hit it on the head. I mean, that's that's the most valuable thing I think to any employee in any industry is that there has to be some expertise or some knowledge that you have and that you know and that 
um, forgive my French, that nobody can fuck with you on. Right. right? That, that doesn't mean like that doesn't mean like if I know Microsoft Word, I mean, everyone, a lot of people know Microsoft Word. Right. But maybe there's just something in Microsoft Word, some shortcut or something that I know that makes whatever one executive was doing. I could split the time in half because I know how to do it. But none of my peers know how to do it. So um, I. It's 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 not even about competition or being competitive. It's just being the best at what you do. Everything that I do, if if I was to, I've been looking into franchising certain things, and, and some people look at me a little crazy. But if I was to franchise, let's say um, a Taco Bell, um, right. I don't eat I don't eat meat. I haven't had Taco Bell in ten years, so it wouldn't be Taco Bell. But if I was to um, franchise Taco Bell, I would want to clean the bathrooms, work behind the counter, do everything everything from ground from the ground level. To the top level before I actually decide whether or not I'm going to franchise um, that 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 franchise. Um, so I think that it's really important that when you go to work for somebody uh, or you go to a job that you have a vast of a, a variety of skills, but that there's got to be a few certain skills like race. There's got to be something that you bring to the table that makes you a valuable a valuable asset. Southern Hospitality with DJ Eakin can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com. Oh, oh, oh.